Nobody can stand up confidently and tell me what a pulse is. We got all these medical professionals and nobody can tell me what a pulse is. Okay, well, there we go. Somebody give it up for the nurse Rawl. I was nervous, man. We had all the medical professionals raise their hand and ain't not one tell me what a pulse is. I'm like, Lord Jesus, help us. A pulse is the heart rate or the number of times your heart beats in one minute. The pulse can be measured by using the radial artery. Somebody put their finger on the radial artery, right? The radial artery in the wrist or the cartoid artery in the neck. Carotid, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You can tell I don't work in the metal, medical field. Carotid artery, that's what I'm in. Carotid artery. So go like that. Hey, can you guys edit that on the live stream so I don't look like an idiot? Carotid artery. Hey, you know what? If you guys call me to the hospital, it's to pray for you not to perform the, the surgery. So I want to do something right now because in the, the carotid artery in the neck and the radial artery in the wrist, heart rates vary from person to person. We just got done worshiping, so don't run to the ER if your, your pulse rate's a little high right now. You're jumping and running. It's okay, but let's go ahead and put a 60-second clock on the screen, if you could, and... We're going to measure, not yet, don't start it yet, let's go back to 60, sorry, that's my fault, I called for it, but we're going to measure our pulse rate, and so you go ahead and put your finger on the radial artery, or put your finger on the carotid artery, and I want you to just count how many as that counts down, and we're going to see what our pulse rate is. Ready? Go. Now, mine's higher than normal. I think it was because of worshiping, because I'm up here and y'all make me nervous and because I just said a word wrong. And so I'm, my pulse rate's elevated. But uh, pulse is a rhythmic beat felt in an artery. Now, some of you, again, you might not hear the rest of the message that I'm preaching because you might, when I give you information, you might be worried and being like, I got to go to ER. You don't? We'll pray for you. We can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. But it's an indicator of the pumping action of the heart. With each beat of the heart, blood is ejected into the arteries. But what good is knowing our pulse 
if we don't have anything to which to compare it to. If somebody said, mine's 122, 48, 67, we're just like, okay. It's like a shoe size, right? I mean, like, we don't know what to compare it to if there's not a benchmark, something with which it says, this is what is normal. This is what is expected. A normal resting heart rate for adults ranges from 60 to 100 beats per minute. And that's the part where some of you are like, <gasps> if it's high, just blame it on worship. If it's low, start worshiping. <laughs> Generally, a lower heart rate at rest implies more efficient heart function and cardiovascular fitness. For example, a well-trained athlete might have a normal resting heart rate closer to 40 beats per minute. Today I want to speak on this topic, and I apologize, just so you know, if anything messes up, it's on me, because this might be the first time they are hearing this. This has probably happened only maybe three times in 14 years of pastoring, but media team, live stream, I'm going a completely different direction than everything that I sent you, everything that I gave you. And if you're on the live stream, that title slide that they might have up, that's totally not what's going to happen today. But it will happen in a few, it will happen in a few weeks, and so you can look forward. Take, take that as a promotional title slide. Um, but at about 11 a.m., I spoke, uh, well, this morning I spoke at a, a graveside memorial deal for a Paget family on the passing of their unborn child. And we did that, and then I took my daughter out to breakfast well, I thought it was going to be breakfast, and then they told me they don't serve breakfast at that time, so that was frustrating. But, um, and God spoke to me, and he said, I want to change your message today. And I was like, man, God, come on, I'm having breakfast. You're going to stress me out like this? <laughs> and uh, so I went home, and boy, did God put together a message in incredible timing, because it's amazing when you don't have to study when God says, you just type. And so today, I want to speak on the pulse of the current church. There's no title slide because they didn't know. Um, unless, I don't know, Pastor Gavin works some miracles sometimes. <laughs> he throws them together nine seconds sometimes. But the pulse of the current church. Would you pray with me for me and with me for you? Jesus, in your name we pray. God, we're so thankful for what we've already felt today. Oh, you, you don't have to show up like you do and touch us and impact us in times of worship like that. But you do, Lord. You inhabit the praise of your people. We're not deserving or worthy of that. But when we offer it to you, you receive it and you pour your spirit out on us and you meet us in this place. God, help us to never take that for granted, Jesus, because... You are so alive and powerful, and Lord, we want our lives to reflect you and to be centered around you. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray today, anoint me, speak through me, and touch the hearts, minds, and ears of those listening, either in person or online. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. If, if we're going to take our pulse today as a church, we need a benchmark. We need something that says, here's what's normal. Here's what's expected. To find this, we must go back to the word, back to the birth of the New Testament church, back to the book of 
Acts. But even before the book of Acts, look what Jesus says to his followers that he handpicked. And it was in the process of personally training. He says in John 14, very really I say unto you, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm referencing this like you know. Again, I'm going to try and slow down. John 14, 12 to 14. If you guys can keep up, you do your best. No, no problem. If you can't, the word will still go forth. John 14, 12 to 14. It says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he also shall do. And it says this, and greater works than these shall ye do. So my pulse is, well, if they did that, and that was what was normal, and he's saying you should be higher or elevated beyond that point, my pulse as a church says, well, then I should be seeing at least these things. He says, verse 13, and whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And Jesus invests in them. He disciples them, trains them. And then, as Brother Luke Foster talked about, he commissions them. He read this passage, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which if you missed Wednesday night, you missed. I can say that, I say that when I preach and like God moves, now I can really say that. Like I didn't preach, so you really missed out because it was, you heard a re, uh, this is, Luke did not just get up here as a young man on his first time. Luke came with a word from God. And he started by reading the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18. It says, Jesus came, spoke to them, <clears throat> saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So he says, I got the power. And he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. I have the power, but I'm giving you the power. You go, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, which we know the name is Jesus, teaching them. You don't just baptize them and leave them. There's baptism, there's teachings, there's discipleship, there's a process. That I'm with you always, he says, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I've commanded you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Jesus says, all power is mine, but I'm giving it to you and commissioning you to start the mission. He tells them over and over again, I won't leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm with you to the end of the world. You will never be alone. I will not leave you comfortless. I am Emmanuel. That means God with you. He reminds them over and over and over again, I'm with you. And it can be scary to continue the mission of God when the known world and the principles of the known world stand against you. I mean, look what he says when he calls them, Matthew 10, 16 to 20. Matthew 10, 16 to 20. He says, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. That sounds great. Where do I sign up? He says, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. They're going to deliver you up to the councils and they'll scourge you in the synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you, don't take thought about how you shall speak, what you're going to say. He says, for it's going to be given you in that same hour what you should speak. For it's not you that speak, it's the Spirit 
of your Father which speaketh in you. Because you're going to be filled with my Spirit, and my Spirit will give you the words when you need them. There was expectation there. And the expectation was this. It's not just, yes, I want to be a disciple. You ever talk to somebody, what, what time would you live in? I would live in the time where I could walk with Jesus. Really? Really, you would? Are you sure? So you would have signed in the dotted line when he says, yep, I'm going to send you like sheep in the wolves. They're going to arrest you and beat you up. And don't worry, though, I'm going to be with you. Wow, that sounds fun. Where do I sign up? This is exciting stuff. But he, 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 there's an expectation here, not just I'm commissioning you, not just I'm calling you, not just I'll be with you, but here's what he's saying. My calling is not going to be easy on the flesh. Do we, do we not read that? I'm calling you, but if you respond to this call, I want you to know up front, this, is, this ain't going to be easy on your flesh. If you're here and you're a first-time guest, we hope you come back. We hope that you feel the presence and power of God. But I'm going to tell you straight up, God's going to give you power. He's going to fill you with his spirit. You're going to be an overcomer. He's going to set you free. But when you walk with God and walk in his anointing and the ministry which he's called you to reach this world, it will not be easy on your flesh. But a few verses later, he reminds them of an eternal perspective in Matthew 10, 28. Matthew 10, 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Hey, eternal perspective. Just remember, here's what you're going to go through in the flesh. It's not going to be easy in the flesh, but... Let me remind you, don't worry about people that are trying to harm your flesh. That's not eternal. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, he says, what is a man profited? If he'll gain the whole world and lose his soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We don't profit anything, okay? At the end of the day, what is eternal is what matters, and he's bringing them back to that. And when we move into the book of Acts, Jesus has resurrected. He's ascended into heaven, and the only reason the gospel starts to spread beyond Jerusalem, the only reason that the gospel spreads beyond Jerusalem, beyond their hometown, beyond where they are most comfortable, was because of persecution. From what I can tell, they would have all built their houses, stayed in one place and said, hey, are you going to the Jerusalem County Fair next weekend? That's from what I can tell. They would have stuck around in one place. But all of a sudden, people start getting beat and commanded to stop and arrested. And, and all of a sudden, God says, multiply. He says, go, take the word out. He says, go into the highways and the byways. Go into all the nations. He lists them out. They don't do that without persecution. Hear this. Sometimes inconvenience and difficulty is the time when God transitions his people from a place of comfort to a place of purpose. I'll say that again just because it might be a good tweet. 
Sometimes inconvenience and difficulty is the time when God transitions his people from a place of comfort to a place of purpose. At first glance, a superficial reading of the book of Acts might lead us to think about, you know, how the good news of Jesus had spread so easily and so quickly. After all, we have reoccurring statements throughout the book of the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. We find that in Acts 6, 7, 12, 24, 19, 20. But take a closer look. The spread of the good news about Jesus was accompanied with persecution and opposition. The enemies of the gospel figured we can make this movement end. The opening chapters of the book of Acts describe both increasing opposition against early Christians and the continued spread of the gospel in spite of persecution. Those are the two themes we see. There are three places in these early chapters where two themes are side by side, and I'll try to give them time to get there. Acts chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, and they arrested them. They laid hands on them, right? And put them in hold until the next day, until the next morning. They're arrested. Verse 4 says, many of the people who heard their message, and it's fine, that's King James, it's the same thing, but it says, so the number of men who believed totaled 5,000. Interesting. If one of our pastoral team members, let's uh, go with Brother Foster, was arrested tonight, (laughs) the first question would be, what, what for? But if he was arrested because he was preaching the gospel, casting out devils, baptizing people, and we're like, yeah, whoa, and then all of a sudden he gets arrested, what would happen tomorrow? Would we gather? Would we be texting one another? Would we be afraid, frustrated, angry, or would revival continue? Look at the ups and downs. Go to Acts chapter 5. Verses 15 to 20. Doing a phenomenal job, Michael. Acts chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. It says, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were being brought into the streets on beds and mats, so Peter's shadow might fall across them as they went by. How many of you, be honest, would enjoy walking by someone? And just your shadow just heals them. Okay, we want it to be about God, but that would be a pretty cool personal thing, too. You're just walking, you're like, whoa. That person, like, done coughing, they can, they can see, they can walk. They're rising from the dead. They're, they're, I mean, like, that would be pretty awesome. Crowds came from villages around Jerusalem. They're bringing their sick, possessed by evil spirits. They were all healed. Wow. The high priest and officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Because when you're mightily used of God, people get jealous. And they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Wait a minute. These people are being healed. Lives are being changed. We go from an incredible high to an incredible low, just just like that. 
But an angel of the Lord came at night and opened the gates of the jail and brought them out and told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. Now, if this was you and you're like, yes, look at this. This is incredible. And you get arrested and you're sitting in prison like, what is going on here? This doesn't seem right. I'm trying to do the work of the Lord. He's using me to heal people and they're arresting me. And then an angel breaks you free. Wouldn't you maybe think about it's time for me to, to skip town? Wow, thanks for the deliverance. I am out of here. But no, it's, all right, now you're out. Head back to the temple and keep on working on the mission. Uh, are you serious? In one short paragraph, we go for miracle signs and wonders, healings in the street, crowds gathering, demon-possessed people being set free. And the next verse, opposition comes, they're thrown in jail. Then the next verse, an angel's bringing them out and sending them go back to the mission. And this chapter ends with Acts 5, 40. Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 42. It says, the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Doesn't sound fun. Then they ordered them to never speak in the name of Jesus. Beat you up, flog you. Don't ever speak in the name of Jesus again. For some of us, we might go. Thanks for the warning. I'm going to just keep loving him and serving him. I won't keep my mouth shut in public. What'd they do? The apostles left the high council rejoicing. They were just flogged and arrested and threatened. And they leave that place rejoicing that God had counted me worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And what did they do? Every day in the temple and from house to house, meaning they didn't have a place big enough to gather for the church. They went wherever they needed to go to proclaim the gospel. There wasn't one facility, one building. Yeah, I'm just nervous around here. We're supposed to be out. And we were supposed to do this. And then we, got, we thought this might work on a, who in the world cares? The church moves on whether the building's there or not. They said, we'll take it to the streets. We'll take it to the temple. We'll take it to houses. We'll do small groups if we need to. We'll have multiple church and multiple areas. No matter what we need to do, the, the, the flow of the gospel will never stop. And they just kept preaching Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He died on the cross. He filled you with the Spirit, just like he did for us. And today, we're taking our pulse as the current New Testament church. Greater things than these shall you do. How's our pulse today? When we read these stories about people getting flogged and arrested and put in jail and just kept going, oh, thank you, God, that all the things that I'm going through, do we do that? Or do we say, you know what? This is ridiculous. I serve in ministry. I pay tithes. I'm faithful to God. Why would he let this happen? Why would God allow this in my life? Which attitude do we have? Or do we go, my God, I know you're working. I can't see it. It doesn't make 
made sense. But no matter where you take me, if it's in the prison, if it's in the jail, if they're going to beat me, if they're going to arrest me, God, thank you for the honor to be able to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And so if we're taking our polls, I think we need to stop. Put the 60 seconds back up. Now it's not going to go on the artery. Now it's just go ahead and close your eyes. And for 60 seconds, I want you to just begin to go, you know what? If I'm taking my polls, do I look like the New Testament church? Do I reflect the New Testament church? If that's the benchmark, if that's the norm, is this who I look like? Is this the type of walk that I have? Go ahead and start the clock as we just take our pulse right now as we close our eyes and we begin to read and think about the book of Acts and we begin to think about what, what God called and commissioned them to do and say, how, do, how does my life look? How am I doing reaching people and praying for the sick, bringing people to church, praying people through to the Holy Ghost, teaching Bible studies, reaching a lost and dying world? How am I looking today? Come on, we got 30 more seconds left to just Take our pulse as we think to ourselves. Every pulse is different in a physical sense. Well, every pulse is different in a spiritual sense. We're all not going to be in the same place in the same part of our journey. But what does our pulse look like spiritually? Ten seconds left. Jesus, help us. And the book of Acts continues. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, and I'm going to go into the 8th chapter too. Acts chapter 7, verse 54 says, Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, Stephen, no matter how you say it, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven. Could you just go to this moment in your brain, in your mind, and he sees the glory of God. And he sees Jesus standing in the place of honor. And he says out loud, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Where would we be if we were about to get stoned and there was a group of people who had arrested us and all we've ever done is love people and teach the gospel and try to live a holy life. And we're arrested and we're about to die for the cause of Christ. And he stands there and looks into heaven and and says these words and says, oh, wow, look, look, I can see the heavens open, the place of honor. There's the son of man. And they put their hands over their ears and started shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city. And they began to stone him. Back then, it wasn't landscape stones. They were boulders that they began to throw at this man. And his accusers took off their coats and threw him at the feet of a man named Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. And they stoned him. And what does Stephen say? He doesn't, he doesn't say, God, where are you? Why are you going to let this happen to me? He just says, Lord, receive my spirit. And he falls to his knees and he's, his last words recorded are don't charge them with this sin. And he dies. He dies with a prayer of forgiveness to those throwing stones on his head. The first martyr in the New Testament, he dies for the cause of Christ, for the, for the mission that we're called to live. 
Then you go into the eighth chapter and it says Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day. This wasn't it. This just started a wave of persecution. It started sweeping over the whole church in Jerusalem and the beginners, the believers except the apostles were scattered. Oh, why would you do this? You scattered our church, Lord. And God's going, I got a plan. Yeah, but we were here in this one place. And he's going, that's not my will. And so persecution scatters them through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with the great mourning. And again, if you're a part of the church and you say, hey, can you help me meet me in the morning? Because we got to go get rid of the first martyr's body, the man that we loved. We got to go put him in the tomb. We got to go put him somewhere. How are you doing at that point? You ready to preach the gospel that night? But that's what they did. And Saul was going everywhere, destroying, trying to destroy the church, going into houses, dragging people out. And in the midst of all of this, verse 4 says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news of Jesus wherever they went. Are you kidding me right now? We're burying the first somebody. Now it's not just getting beat up and getting threatened. Now it's happening. They're actually killing people now. And we're going, you know what? I I don't know if I want to do this. I'm done with this. No, they said, it's time for us to go somewhere else. And everywhere we go, we're going to keep preaching this. Because it was about the mission. Because when Jesus called me, he said it was not going to be easy on the flesh. But he said greater things than these you're going to do. He said, I'm going to call you, and I'm going to use you, and I'm going to open doors, and I'm going to give you the words when you need them. And so they started traveling, and they started moving in the midst of death and persecution and martyrdom. They're scattered. It wasn't, things were difficult, but they said, I've been commissioned by Jesus. And so not only is this once, again, saying that the spread of the message of Jesus can't be thwarted by persecution, but this is even saying in this instant, persecution was the very means for the spread of the message. Stephen's death was followed by persecution, persecution, scattering, the scattering, now beyond Jerusalem for the very first time. And the next story after that is in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Acts chapter 8. Verses 4 through 8, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of where Jews hated Samaritans. They would add days onto a trip to avoid having to go through the city of Samaria. They hated them. Persecution tends to change things. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to Samaria because I want to go to Samaria even. I'm going to Samaria because that's the mission. Because he commissioned me and said, go into all the world. He said, I've given you power to be a witness. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. He, he lists it out in Acts 1.8. All the regions. When things don't go your way, it causes you to look outside your own situation or it causes you to focus more on your situation and you will either get bitter or better. So Philip goes to hated Samaria and what happens? Revival breaks out. 
The whole city is praying through the Holy Ghost. They're being healed. God is opening blind eyes. Great things are happening before he calls them out into the middle of a desert for a eunuch. Sometimes inconvenience and difficulty is the time when God transitions his people from a place of comfort to a place of purpose. Maybe our church goes through transitions and times of difficulty. Maybe this is when God puts us right in the middle of an area where people need Jesus. What happens when God, what if he calls us out of liberty and puts us to where there's prostitutes and pimps, there's drug lords and homeless people and people struggling with life and people that maybe don't look good and smell good and act good. I'm not going to church there. I don't want a church where they shoot out windows or where people stink or where people sleep in the parking lot. My God, if I'm looking to start a boutique in a place, then maybe that's one thing. But I'm supposed to be a hospital. I'm supposed to be a place where I'm going into the heart of where people are dying, where they're hurting, where they're going to hell. I got to get into that place. And so you know what? I don't know where we're going to go and what the next step is. We stay here for a while. We go somewhere else. But here's what I'll tell you. I will go wherever God calls me. I will go whatever the mission is. And you know what? There might be times that I might go somewhere and some of you might say, eh, I'm out. This is my stop. I'm not going to this place. Then we wish you the very best, but your opinion will not stop the mission of God. We will go wherever Jesus Christ is calling us to go. Because why? It's about the mission. There are no simplistic explanations of suffering and persecution in Acts. In one chapter, Acts 12, James the Apostles put to death by Herod, and Peter's miraculously rescued from Herod's prison and certain death. We might say, my Lord, why does God do that? You can get bitter or better when things don't go your way. There are no guarantees that a believer will escape or one church will survive. We, might, we may be on the precipice of continent-wide persecution for the cause of Christ. Who knows? If you're getting flogged and arrested, are you complaining about Jesus or are you saying, thank you, God, that I'm counted worthy? The book of Acts provides us with assurance that the risen Lord Jesus is still with his people. He enables the continuing spread of the good news about the saving death, burial, and resurrection, empowering his people by his spirit to be witnesses. By God's grace, nothing can thwart the continued spread of the gospel, the planning of new churches, of people who know that by the forgiveness of sins, by faith, we can be saved. Brother Luke Foster talked about it on Wednesday. Probably my favorite quote of the message is he said, God doesn't steer parked cars. Man, he did such a good job, not just on his delivery. It was masterful. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have flown in anybody to do it better. I wish my first message would have even been just half that good. I kind of was thinking I wish the messages I'm preaching now would be half that good. But he was used by God to not deliver a thought. He was used by God to call our church back to the mission. And why don't I just be transparent this morning, this afternoon? My wife said good morning, too, so we're both, we're both messed up. 
But you know, when he was preaching, God quickens to my mind, and I'm like, amen, yep. You're like, you know, like we always do, like, hope the church is hearing this, praise God. And I'm going, amen, amen, and God carves into my heart and goes, he's talking to you. I was like, what? Why, because earlier that day, I just kind of quickened my mind. I didn't really think much at the moment. It was like not a conscientious decision. But I was in a grocery store in the area, and there was a transgender person. I really honestly don't know if they were transitioning from male to female, female to male. I really don't know. Looking very, very different. And I walked to the front to ask a question because I couldn't find something. Typical, stereotypical man in the grocery store thing. And I walked up, and I noticed this person standing. And I was just kind of like, that I kept going. I tried to get my answer because I had to get my milk and my other stuff. And that night, God lays in my heart. He goes, I was trying to tell you to go and speak to that person. But all I was concerned about was getting my milk that day. And me going, amen, preach it. Luke, church needs to hear this. God goes, I'm going to carve in you just a little bit because I'm trying to talk to you. I appreciate you being used because that's what God does. I pray to God he don't, I pray to God he loves me enough to not let me stay the same. My spirit has been troubled for weeks now. I've been paying attention to the pulse of Refuge Church, and even the pulse of, I've, I get to go to national meetings and talk to people who pastor other churches, and another pastor was thinking about looking into this building, and the church really fought him because it was, it was, a, it was a dangerous area, and so he's fighting this opposition. It's, it's not just refuge. It's a, churches across North America because in North America, we have, we have choices. We have we get to choose which grocery stores we should. I mean, if you're living in Liberty, you can choose from how many different places to buy groceries, how many places to eat food, how many places to buy gas, how many banks, how many chicken places. My Lord, if you want a chicken strip, you can choose like nine places. The pulse in my own calling, the pulse in what God's calling me to do, and when I compare it to our benchmark, or to what Jesus deems normal, the book of Acts church, the one he formed and trained and commissioned, I'm not sure, I'm not sure today that I see a man in myself or a church in us that's ready to withstand floggings and lions and being filleted alive and beat to death with a club and dragged to death and beheaded and crucified upside down and limbs dismembered. My God, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if our church is ready for that, but if I take the pulse, I look and I go, is that, is that, is that, is that us, Lord? Are we prepared, Jesus? Are we like the book of Acts church? People today want to say things like, yeah, but these people got the Holy Ghost overseas and we're greater than the book of Acts church. I, I, I 
I disagree. I disagree. Certainly, God's pouring out his spirit, and, and certainly we're seeing this overseas, but, but I don't think we're at the point where we're ready to be flogged and beheaded and dismembered and crucified upside down. We say, God, thank you so much for the opportunity to serve the kingdom of God. Thank you for, for counting me worthy to suffer. Instead, today, I, I, I stand here and I apologize because even myself, uh, again, I'll just continue to be transparent. You can pray for me and we aim to do everything here with excellence, and, and we're going to continue to do so because it's all about the kingdom of God, and, and we want to do it with excellence. But over the past few weeks, I have even allowed myself to be distracted from the mission. We've baptized several people over the last several weeks straight, and today we baptize another person. God continues to do great things. And in spite of all this, there's times where I've not been able to concentrate because we're having issues and they're doing their best. But I'm getting up here and my microphone's doing funny things and they're, they're trying to fix the monitors and, and stuff's happening up here and, and, and it's gotten the translation screen, maybe has the wrong Bible up. And I wish I could say, oh yes, I just walk with God on such a level that I'm never distracted. But I, I stood here and I'm losing my train of thought and I'm getting frustrated. And instead of focusing on the mission, I'm thinking about the fact that the baptismal timer is not working and my microphone is not working. And that, and that people, I'm thinking about through these things and about the translation and I'm going, what... This is not the mission. Certainly, we try to get things right. We try to do things well. But you know what? Best Brother Gleason says what's in the heart of the pastor is into the heart of the people. And I'm afraid that maybe I'm not proud of the things in my heart, the things that have been elevated higher than the things that really matter. And so it started to bleed into all of us. This doesn't matter. I can pull the plug. I can set this thing down. I can preach like we can meet in a different building. People are still going to get baptized. If the water's cold, we'll go to a lake. We'll use a hotel pool. If we're going to be the book of Acts church, we got to do the best that we can. But at the end of the day, I don't want to be distracted by the microphone, the song, the light, the building. I don't care where I have church. We're going to have church. I don't care if people are coming or looking at us funny. We're going to preach the gospel of Jesus. I can baptize anybody in any type of water that allows them to be immersed. And so if you would accept my apology because God helped the church when we take our pulse and we look at the book of Acts benchmark while we read about martyrs, persecutions, lions and prisons, and we're getting off track because church service isn't at the time that I prefer. We might miss part of football games that start this week. The new schedule might not be my preference if we have to share space with another church. We might be looking at buildings and neighborhoods that you might not like or think are dangerous. The building might need more work than we're willing to put in or pay for. Our kids can't Bible quiz or make church events or prayer meetings because they have football, band, cheer, or whatever else that we've signed up them up for that pull them away from the cause of God in their life. Wednesday nights are inconvenient because we live too far out. We're really tired or we're finishing a home project. Oh, while children and youth are missing out on lessons and experiences with God that could change their lives. If you live too far from this church and you can't make it, I don't want to see anybody leave, but you should probably find a different church then because we all need to assemble. I, I don't preach like this very much, but my spirit is stirred to the core. We must be in prayer, and, and I'll say be in prayer. 
before you share your opinion on things, make sure you're not sowing discord in the name of just speaking your mind. I'm afraid that the book of Acts church might look at the 21st century church and be ashamed. As they go, wait, what? They complained about the temperature? We preached on the sides of mountains. We slept outside. I, I, <laughs> A good doctor will come in when he or she has health news. And that doctor will look at you with compassion. But the doctor will tell you straight. And today I come to you with compassion. But I have to tell it straight. I have my finger on the pulse of Refuge Church. And culture matters so much here. And the culture has been so strong for so long. But today I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable with how comfortable we've gotten. When I look at the benchmark, the book of Acts, I see us falling short. They didn't have a beautiful facility, something close to their home where they just felt safe and comfortable. Their meetings were always at their preferred times. It's doubtful that they gathered together and complained about the choice of songs that a worship leader sang or taught at a practice. It's doubtful. God helped the church when we care more about these things. I'm not beating nobody up because Lord knows I just stood in front of you and two, three different things. I looked at myself and God's going, you're, you're, the, you're part of the cause. And that's hard. I, I don't, I, I'd rather just preach. Hey, God told me to tell you this. Y'all are, no, and he's like, I'm going to carve into your heart. God, help us when we care more about these things than the fact that our neighbor, coworker, friend, or family member are going to an everlasting lake of fire called hell. The book of Acts church cared nothing more than for their walk with God and his commission to reach the world and make disciples. And making disciples is never going to be convenient. Well, I come to church and say, yeah, but making disciples, I need to connect, take them to a small group, take them out to eat, take them to a Bible study, bring them to a discipleship course. I need to check on them. I need to pray with them. Sometimes something happens at night. I got to run to their house and go, it's, it's not convenient. If you're looking for convenience, you're probably not ready to fulfill the Great Commission. But he's still looking at the Acts church going, greater things. I still want to do greater things. If I could put it this way, and I'm closing, I no longer want to be comfortable just being comfortable. I don't want to walk into grocery stores and restaurants just thinking about my milk and my schedule and my car wash and my things I need to get done and how I have to cut the grass and my kids are waiting, I have to do this. And I just don't want to go through my whole life thinking that when God's going, hang on, there's a person, there's someone who's sick, there's someone who needs me, there's somebody who's contemplating suicide, there's somebody who's transitioning from male to female, there's somebody, oh, and I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah, good, yep, yeah, Jesus' name, okay, I got to get home because I have all these things I need to do. This church does not and will never. I want you to have strong families, strong marriages, strong children. I want to have you opportunities for ministry. But we do not exist to make you comfortable. We exist to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. 
And for me, whatever service time, whatever location, whatever building, whatever, wherever he wants us to, I will do anything. If we have to start having Saturday morning services, I mean, like, I am not, I can't tell you this enough. I'm not, I'm not purposely looking to make changes and make us uncomfortable. But I will do whatever furthers the mission. Whatever opens the door to reach the most lost souls. If persecution or inconvenience gets us into places that God is calling us to be, then so be it. I embrace the persecution. I embrace the inconvenience. Jesus, do whatever you need to do. When God spoke to me this past spring, he said, your building's taken care of. Now I'm going to work on you. I heard the first part. Yes, building's done. Yes, thank you, Lord. And here I stand still going, I have no idea where we're going next. But Lord, you know what? You have been working on me. Hmm. And I think God's looking at a church that he loves so much and he has so many great plans for. But before he blesses us with the location, facility, all that stuff, which really don't matter in the long run, he's going, I need you to be ready. I need my people. I'm not going to send babies to a place where they're going to starve of malnutrition. I'm not going to send babies to a place where people are just going to go, well, hopefully they come back next Sunday. I'm not going to do that. He's, he's going, I want a church that will remember the mission. I want a church that in spite of the inconvenience that they will say, you know what? I will do whatever I've got to do to further the cause of Christ. I invite you to stand and I invite you to join me because here's my prayer today, Jesus. Please forgive me if I have gotten more consumed with my preferences and my comfort than I have with the mission and the purpose of my existence. God, thank you for calling your people back to the heart of the mission. I invite you to pray. Yeah. 
of the selfishness inside every day. 